from the Shumway Theater in downtown Rockford. This is the Guilty Pleasures Podcast, presented by Rockford Writers Guild. Here is your host, Connie Coons. Hi, everyone. It's Connie Coons, and you're listening to Season 1, Episode 14 of the Guilty Pleasures Podcast. And guess who's back in the Shumway studio? Dan Libman. Yes. Hi. Hi, Connie. Hi. Want to do a story? Welcome. Having, thank you for having me back. Yes, I would love to. Which one would you like to read today? Well, how about the one I brought? Bottomless Coffee. Bottomless Coffee, Topless Dancer. Yes. Zzz. Zzz, plural. I think so. Bottomless Coffee, Topless Dancers. Yes. Let's do it. All right. I first heard about my buddy Eric bottoming out at a strip club in Rockford. I had just gotten a private lap dance from a woman who had pushed my knees apart and pressed against me. All the lap dances were done in a carpeted alcove that still smelled like cigarettes, even though you weren't allowed to smoke back there. In the area next to mine was a guy in a wheelchair, and when he finished getting his dance, my stripper, Roxy, had to scooch in to give him enough space to wheel past. She pressed against me to give him room, but the chair caught one of her discarded shoes. Excuse me, she called after him. Hey, Roy, Roy! He couldn't hear her over the pumping music. She rolled her eyes, and we waited for him to get past, so she could hop up, go after her shoe, still being dragged by his front wheel. By the time she returned, the song had ended, and neither one of us knew what we were supposed to do. Did you want another dance, she asked, even though I hadn't really gotten a full one. She wasn't cheating me. Roy had just gotten us off book. Same thing, I said. I always asked because sometimes, after you paid for the first dance, the girl let you know things could get friendlier. Roxy just shrugged, which I couldn't interpret. So I took out my wallet and said, you're really good at this, mostly just to have something to say while counting out the money. But Roxy really lit up. I just love dancing, she said. I don't care what kind of dancing it is. It just makes me happy. Well, that was her story. You would love the girls we hire at the store, Eric said when Roxy walked me back to my seat. He was drinking Diet Coke because he was in AA, and he was also texting someone who I was pretty sure was the girl he'd shown me nude photos of on his phone. They have to be tall to reach over the counter, he continued. Just your type. I hadn't gotten the dance from Roxy because she was necessarily my type, but because she had come over and asked me. I felt pleased when dancers picked me and jealous when they hustled other guys. Eric and I were the same age and had been close as children, hated each other in high school, ended up being friends again as adults. He was back on his phone and I was watching the next act, but also keeping an eye on Roxy. For Eric, AA was just a preemptive strike. He had acknowledged a problem, alcoholism, and announced he was quitting. He had not acknowledged the pills, the check-kiting, the girlfriends, or the embezzlement. That same year, Eric lost both his pharmacies, his house, and all his money. What he didn't lose was his wife, who vindictively stuck with him through it all. She sold the house while he was in rehab and moved to Naperville with her parents. When he got out of rehab, he had nowhere else to go but under her father's roof. He went to meetings every day and eventually got a job at a Walmart pharmacy, but under strict supervision because of his status as a recovering addict. Most of our friends said Eric had gotten off easy, that he was lucky to have a loyal woman. It may have been his story, too.
Around this time, another pal of ours dried up on me. His name was Josh, and he was really the husband of one of my wife's friends. Josh and I hung out at the Oasis Saloon when our wives did body pump at the gym. Then one day, Josh called up and said he was going cold turkey. No more beer. No more drinking at all. We could still be friends, and I could even drink in front of him, but we couldn't go to bars. I was game at first, meeting him at sushi places, since he replaced hops and barley with fish and rice. I drank sake and contributed my end of the small talk until the glow of rice wine spread to my cheeks. One time, back when he was still drinking, we had locked the doors at the Oasis Saloon from the inside when Natasha, the bartender, had gone out for a smoke. Josh and I were the only ones there that evening besides an old rummy named Sven, who was such a constant presence, Natasha joked that the owner, Nick, claimed him as a dependent. While Natasha banged on the door and hollered that she'd kick our asses, Josh and I poured ourselves pints and got pretzels for Sven, who took them without comment. Maybe he thought we worked there. I flung wet napkins at the pressed tin ceiling, which is pretty juvenile, but it's a lot of pressure to be clever spur of the moment. Although not for Josh. Locking the door on Natasha had been his idea. When we did let her back in, she was pretty pissed, but couldn't make a big deal because if Nick found out she left the register unattended, she'd be in bigger trouble. Nick was fine with me. He always slid me a beer on the house if the Ice Hogs won. He also owned the Euro stand across the street, and the regulars were allowed to order from the carryout menu taped to the register. Nick would send over one of the fry guys with a bag of food and ketchup packets. Once Eric started to pick up the pieces of his life, he invited me out for coffee so he could officially make amends. This was a couple months after the strip club. I'm sorry about creating distances between you and other people, Eric said earnestly, too earnestly for my taste. He seemed confident, like he wasn't just going through the motions. The waitress at Perkins switched out our carafe, which we had already gotten down to a quarter full. She had lots of eyeliner and let her hip stick out when she poured. I fell in love with every girl who ever waited on me. I told Eric, I don't feel like you created a distance between me and anyone. He stirred cream into his coffee and lots of sugar, a new packet after every sip, almost. He said, I put you in a position of having to keep secrets for me. That puts distance between you and other people. What was I supposed to say? That I forgave him? Or was he supposed to have to work for it? I genuinely didn't know, since Josh had quit without meetings or amends. At least he never made any to me. I liked hearing Eric's druggy stories, and a little distance between me and other people seemed a reasonable price. Eric and Josh were sober now, closer to their wives, but farther from me. It really all came down to physics. Do you think I'm an alcoholic, I asked. I don't know, he said. It's not for me to decide. But it is a question alcoholics ask, so that's useful data, right? That you're asking yourself that? I'm not asking myself, I'm asking you. If you're worried about it, come to a meeting with me. You can just sit and listen. In the meantime, don't have a beer tonight. Then see if you can go without one tomorrow. I considered it, but stopped at the bar on my way home anyway. My calculation was that I could skip the beer just to make a point. I didn't have a beer, so clearly I don't need to have a beer, and that's my story. On the other hand, just walking into the Oasis Saloon made me feel better. Even if you don't have a buddy to go with anymore, you still feel like a king, sidling up to the bar, giving a nod to Sven, Natasha already pouring your beer before you ask. If that doesn't make you feel like royalty, you can even get a euro with onion rings delivered right to you. You don't even have to get off the stool. 
I would be very surprised if sobriety felt better than that. I don't know when we will stop Cause I need that cool fizz we wash down with a chin Take me to the place where it's beer o'clock Dan? Connie? That story. Yes. What was going through your head when you wrote it? Um, I was writing, uh, I was thinking that a lot of my friends were drying up, and I was going to have a radical change in my lifestyle if all of my friends dried up, and that was what I was thinking about. Most of the time, do you find yourself drinking with friends or with family? Or alone. Uh, most of the time, I, you know, both. You know, now that my kids aren't really old enough to drink, but they're just at the age where they are drinking anyway. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm starting to be able to drink with them. And I do drink <laughs> at home, you know, not to excess, just mm-hmm. just uh, with dinner. But uh, I, I would much prefer being with friends than being alone. So mm-hmm. I like to go to... And the nice thing about it, if you go to enough bars, you all of a sudden start making friends. Mm-hmm. I am a drinker. I don't have a moral dilemma when it comes to alcohol. Okay. So I like it. Um, Me but too. I, but I can't drink in public. What? I, I can't. Why? My, my alcohol culture is such that I would just like to drink at home with my husband. Okay. Because... It's not a drooling issue, right? It's it not, is a okay. drooling issue. All I mean, right. it's just well. Then thank you for you're, you're welcome. It world, it has to be kept at home. But I don't have a moral dilemma with it. I'm not ashamed uh-huh. of drinking, anything like that. So I wondered if you wouldn't mind telling us a little bit about your alcohol culture because you seem to enjoy mm-hmm. it and seem to be extroverted in it. Well, I'm enjoying. You know, I, I, you know, there's. It's almost trendy now. Dive bars and and bar culture. Um, I I think that. Um, I guess I do enjoy it. It's a way of talking to people. And it isn't It isn't even, I don't want to get highfalutin and say, well, I just like to connect with people and I like to talk. I like to find out why there's another guy three stools down, what he's doing at the bar. Um, I, there is something sort of, the last time I was at a bar with a friend of mine, we just ended up talking about the bar the whole time. So we're not even talking about our lives. Like we were talking about, you know, they have rails. Mm-hmm. A good bar's got a rail, a good place to put your foot mm-hmm. like right up here. And if there's a cheap rail, it just ruins the whole experience for me. And then he was saying, yeah, and I like to have hooks under there, you know, for my purse. He's an interesting guy. Mm-hmm. So, we, you know, the, the the bar becomes part of the what you're doing. It's part of the, the atmosphere. So picking the bar is important. Another thing I do is I'm in a trivia league with my friends Dale and John and we and we have over the couple of course we always win but over the course of uh, um, a couple of years already at this point we're friends with the people on the other team mm-hmm. and so that's become a little culture you know to use that word. Mm-hmm. Oh I bumped the mic sorry. It's okay. Um, so yeah I mean I, it's very convivial. I mean it's look it's not our glittering personalities it's the alcohol it kind of makes you it makes everything a little bit more fun and mm-hmm. you have a drink or two and you feel that euphoria mm-hmm. you feel How that flush were you in your when cheeks. you first started drinking i was late i think i was a late bloomer okay. i really was i i didn't i didn't really drink much in college mm-hmm. and um i i'm still you know i guess that, that character is wondering if he's an alcoholic too mm-hmm. because he's drinking regularly and i often wonder am i an alcoholic but um you know the I always the amount that I drink is maybe a beer or two mm-hmm. a day, so I think that's probably not an alcoholic. But um, I, I have another story where a guy says he's emotionally dependent on alcohol. Mm-hmm. I think that's where I'm at. Okay, I like to have it. I don't know that I necessarily need it, but on the other hand, I haven't really found out. Okay, you mentioned a strip club, what? a Euro yeah. restaurant. What, what are these places <laughs> here in, you know in what? Rockford? Connie, we should put that together. There should be a Euro strip club. 
Oh yeah. I'm not even joking. That would be out. That would be through the roof. Strategically placed yes. strips of euro. No. What? No, just you would get a euro while oh. you're watching the dancers. <laughs> I'm always thinking the food should be on the bodies. I don't. That's a problem. That's an interesting fetish. I, it's not. I swear, I'm not as weird as I sound. But well, I guess with all that drooling you do, the, I, your food is on your body. I guess I should just go home and stay there because <laughs> when I talk, yeah. this is what happens. <laughs> but please tell me about what. Where's this euro place? I think it's Uncle Nick's. Yeah, it was the the the, the one that I was thinking about in that story is Uncle Nick's, which mm-hmm. is in Rockford. It's on State Street, and it is across from the Oasis mm-hmm. Saloon, mm-hmm. which uh, is the basis for the Oasis Saloon mm-hmm. in that story. I guess that story is a little bit closer, um, more autobiographical in those particular details. There really was a bartender there named Natasha, mm-hmm. who I really liked, and I thought she was a great bartender, and she moved away. And since then, they've had a series of bartenders who've been fine. But, um, you know, it was nice to have somebody who actually knew your order and knew your name. Mm-hmm. Can't quite beat the feeling of being a regular somehow. Okay. In your family mm-hmm. life, who would you bring to the Oasis? Oh, my my family of origin or my actual family? Oh, uh, the one that you created for yourself. <laughs> the one, My own family? I'd bring them all. They would all love it. Have you been to the Oasis? <laughs> no, it's a, I haven't. It's an interesting place. It's like being in your own basement. The, the furniture's mm. got, the, the chairs have casters on it, and there's these sort of <laughs> garish, like old, paintings of the by these old masters it used to be a strip club by the way mm-hmm. and um there's still that little little room where the where the dances used to happen i was told i was never there when it was a strip club but i had been mm-hmm. told that's what that little area was for and uh the bar is long it's a big long beautiful bar and okay. um uh, it's 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 kind of on the tacky side but in 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 a really delightful way okay Sounds like fun. Yeah. So I'll go. go take a picture of it for social media. Okay. And I'll take a picture of Uncle Nick's so people can kind of see what we're talking about in okay. your story, what you're talking about in your story that you wrote. And will you have a beer while you're there? I'm, I'm going to talk myself into it. Okay. I'm going to do this. Oh, I'll go with you. I can do it. I'll bring a Let's tissue. Have a, oh, okay, a tissue. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For the drooling. Yeah. You know, it won't be, the lighting is very dim in a good bar. Okay. It should be. And the best thing about the Oasis, they have a television, a gigantic television. I hate that. Broken. Never oh, I'm there. Yep. That's, that's another reason is restaurants are so loud. That's right. Okay, so. This this bar this bar has a broken television. Well, it's maybe this is. It's been broken for maybe a decade now. Maybe this is. Th- well, maybe this is what we'll take. Because I don't like the loudness and mm-hmm. the TVs mm-hmm. and slot machines and all this stuff. Yeah, there's happening. no slot machines there. You're oh, right. I, That's I a good it. point. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Okay, I'm there. Yeah, it's I your bar. Do. All right. <laughs> and you can get a euro delivered to you. Okay. Oh my goodness. Are they paying for this? They should. <laughs> no, no, we're we don't monetize this. Oh, okay. We have this altruistic goal about broadening the author's platform. Okay. Getting the good writing out there right. and talking about the things that are meaningful to the writer. I can get along with that. Which reminds me, what is meaningful to you as we wrap up this oh. little interview? Well, did we mention beer yet? I like beer. I enjoy beer, and uh, meaningful to me is you know like I since we've been recording these, it's been dark at five o'clock. Mm-hmm. Now it's it's much later than that, and it's still sunny. So you know we're getting towards the spring, and mm-hmm. a young writer's thoughts turn to thoughts <laughs> of uh, not writing because you can go outside again. So. Fanciful, fanciful thoughts. Yeah. Mm. Well. Uh, this is the last interview, but it's not enough for me. I need you to come back another week. Great. Can you bring your wife? Uh, bring my wife, certainly. She's a published writer from what I yeah, understand. Yeah, she's published. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and what's her name? Molly McNett. All right. So, Mr. Libman, will you please come back next week? Uh, I will. Will you bring Molly? Yes. See you then. All right. Bottomless Coffee, Topless Dancers, previously appeared in Fifth Wednesday Journal. 
The Guilty Pleasures podcast is made possible by Rockford Writers Guild, Rockford Area Arts Council, and you, our listeners. Remember to rate and review us on iTunes and Google Play. Email feedback to editor at rockfordwritersguild.org. Follow us on social media. We are on Facebook under Rockford Writers Guild and at Guilty Pleasures on Twitter and Instagram. This is your producer, Jesse Koontz. Thank you for listening. Now go write.